episode 302 of the Global From Asia podcast. I'm out of quarantine and I talked to another expat in Chengdu, China about his experiences in China during Chinese New Year when this pandemic just took over and uh, his his thoughts as a as a husband and a father like me. Let's listen in. Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Thank you, everybody, for choosing to download or stream or I don't know, Wendy somehow gets this official WeChat account. So I hope and I'm still without my ATR2100 microphone. I'm with a, a Lapel mic, so I hope this counts okay. I am out of quarantine. Woohoo! But I feel like I'm in another one. Uh, it's freezing cold here in Shenyang, China. I have like thermal underwear and sock, multiple socks and sweaters and jackets and hoodies. So I, I am uh, doing okay, but... And everybody keeps asking me, China is, quote-unquote, somewhat back to normal as far as restaurants and malls. And I got my haircut, which felt really great because I really needed a haircut. Uh, but it just feels different to me. And uh, I have my belated birthday cake with my kids. So you can check that stuff out at mikesblog.com for the the personal family travel kind of stuff. But I am uh, really excited to share with you today's show Hugh Bell he was on the show quite a while ago and he is back and it's more just about his experience he was in China in Chengdu city of Chengdu in Sichuan province not too far from Wuhan and he explains his wife and three children that were there for Chinese New Year what what it was like what the thought process was going on the whole idea of fight or flight, you know, or do I stay, do I go, the kind of similar things I was going through when I was deciding to stay or to go. Uh, when I was in the Philippines and my, my wife and children were in China, he was in China and he was deciding, does he get flights for the whole family of five and go to the Europe or go down south or go somewhere else? And it's an interesting interesting uh, thought process he went through and some other things he saw it was it's a fascinating interview i'm really happy to have you on the show and uh we keep these shows in real time we have amazing other interviews as well but i'm reorganizing just to kind of keep these timely shows about this whole pandemic and it's one of our advantages here at global from asia is we have amazing people in our community that are on the ground here in china and other parts of asia to share with us what's what's happening so Without further ado, let's tune into Hugh's show. Do you enjoy the podcast and do you really like what's happening? We do have a membership site at gfavip.com where we have a private forum, we have private members calls, and we have other access to our courses. There's so many courses I've made over the years from, of course, Hong Kong business, China business, import, export, Amazon as well as productivity and other ways that we make things happen here at the show and in the business. So if you like that, check it out at www.gfavip.com. Thank you. Okay, thank you everybody for choosing to listen to another Global From Asia podcast. This is a ongoing series about this whole pandemic. And of course, we're here on uh, in China and in Asia dealing with it on this side of the world. and. It's a pleasure to bring back Hugh Bell. You were, he was actually, you were on the show years ago. Um, it's, it's great to have you back. Thanks for coming on today, Hugh. Well, it's great for you to invite me back, Mike. Sure. Look forward to it. Sure. So you're, you're a well-diversed businessman, and, and uh, we met at first at, in Startup Weekend in Chengdu, I think, like, what is that, seven years ago or so, maybe. And it's... Up. About Startup Weekend 1, Chengdu, that's right. Yeah, the first one. So do you want to just give us... And I'm back there right now. I'm back there right now. I've been in Chengdu since um, November, and uh, we didn't expect to be staying this long. Basically, we went out to uh, lunch on Chinese New Year with my wife's family, and um, 
there's usually a lunch and a dinner and nobody came back for dinner. Crazy. And I learned at that lunch that Wuhan had, and uh, effectively the whole province of Hubei had been locked down the day before. There you go. Yeah. So let's just jump right in. It, yeah. So, so yeah, you have, you're, you're married with, uh, with children similar, similar in my position and uh, you were here. Yeah. Like you just said, you were here, you, um, you go between Hong Kong and Chengdu is your kind of normal track. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My wife is from Chengdu and now we have three children uh, from teens down to eight. And um, so her parents are here and uh you know, we came up to spend time with them as we do each year. And this time it's been extended. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. So then, so you come down for a holiday, like many, actually. I, f- I remember reading the news that the virus was starting to get more and more serious just before Chinese New Year started. And they still decided to let everybody travel before Chinese New Year. I, I remember uh, it was almost like a some people felt like maybe maybe it shouldn't because that's the biggest i think chinese new year is the biggest global what's it called like migration or movement of people in the world right that's- it's i think it's yeah it's the largest global migration and um i actually went to uh hong kong on two trips in uh, one in december and one in uh, sort of mid-january to do factory inspections in dongguan and this the uh, uh, January trip, the hotel asks uh, about my travel history, and I said, "Wow, why do you need to know that?" And they said, "Well, it's a government um, uh, request. In fact, it's not a request; it's a government demand." And I had to fill out the form, and so that was the middle of January, where when I first became aware of it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like I was here in Shenyang, where I'm back now. We'll get into that later, but. But uh, I remember hearing about it, but it obviously wasn't as huge of a news. I think, yeah, like it started right, like you said, during the Chinese New Year lunch. So can you can you give us a little background, like about your experience, how it, how it started or how it went? Well, um, because when I came back from Hong Kong, people were a little bit aware about it and they were um, a bit cautious about going out and there wasn't that much like I'm a foreigner. So I wasn't in the local news loop and I'm, I was kind of relying on what people were saying. And um, anyway, at the lunch, uh, there were three, let's say 40 people, three men were wearing masks, myself, another, um, uh, a cousin of my wife's uh, who's probably in his, you know, thirties. And, and uh, my father-in-law, because um, my wife's mother told him to. And all the other men weren't. And quite a lot of the women were. And I, I don't know. I just don't think that there's, there's the same kind of um, gender kind of uh, thinking about it. And uh, literally, the, convers- the whole mood changed after lunch. And, Everybody who's had masks on, uh, they all had them with them and they all put them on. And uh, so then when I got back home, then we, we learned about that. Well, I learned about um, Hubei being effectively locked down, started with Wuhan within 24 hours, the whole province. And, 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 and then that was it. There was, it was like shock. There's no, like a lot of other countries, they had warning about this for two months and they made announcements that incrementally they would start to social distance and they would start to kind of close off uh, maybe transport things or close off particular parts of countries on certain times and certain dates. And it, it seemed to me to be like they were given notice and therefore they had this idea that COVID started on that, on that day in time when actually it was already there. And in China, it just happened. There was no warning, so the shock was big. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I mean, they—I I think it was an article I read or somewhere they said it was like not even in the daytime. It was in the—I heard that they announced a lockdown at like midnight or two a.m. local time, uh, and then the, basically people woke up, and the next day they were locked. They were locked down. Right. right. You're right. I may, and I just—I—I—I I, I mean, again, there's different. Uh, mechanisms of government and there's different 
cultural differences and um, here there's a massive density of population which you know is not necessarily so are the same in other countries although London has a similar population to maybe Hong Kong or something one person per space would be like a tennis court and in Hong Kong that space would be 25 people and in, in China it could be similar so um, yeah yeah, so I guess just for everybody, even me, I'm not totally f so good at geography. Chengdu, how far is Wuhan from Chengdu about, is it? Oh, okay. that's an interesting question. Um, so between um, Hubei, Western uh, border, and Chengdu, there's Chongqing, a city of 33-odd million people, municipality. And that was my mental red line, because that was midway between us and Hubei border. And the Hubei border to Wuhan was probably like half the distance Chongqing to us. So that became our red line. So maybe um, 300 um, miles, if I may say that, and maybe 600 miles all the way over. So like, it's not very far when you're here, I can tell you that. It's the next city along, and the next province along so got it so what's going through your mind or what what's the conversation with you know your wife and and, uh, and those around you well i have to tell you like i was in a bit of shock but they were not in shock and they were all very calm and they were just explained okay this is happening um, we're all going to stay in and we're all going to stay in for several weeks, um, definitely two and probably four. And that was it. And so we were staying in and, uh, there was no panic. There was no rushing around and stripping shops. There was, it was very calm. People just stayed home. And to me, that was just, really weird because my mind is of a different set uh, to kind of a local Chinese person and I just couldn't it just was so difficult to grasp that 60 million people couldn't move mm -hmm. and so I wasn't I wasn't so much shocked about the virus because I didn't know enough about it I was shocked that 60 million people just were not moving that is the population of Italy that is close to the population of UK or Germany or France. You know, it's a significant, it's a country. How do you do that? Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of thing that was going through my mind and going through my wife and her family's mind was what's, what was actually happening, which was more related to the actual virus, which was being called Nobel coronavirus or NCOV in those days. Yeah. You know. Let's not get political with the names of the virus, <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, like, um, but it's definitely interesting. I think that does show differences of culture, you know, whereas in the West, the Western culture, there would be less, you know, I think we, as Westerners generally don't listen to authority as much or don't just blindly accept what authority tells us to do, right? Like, you know, in the Western worlds, we resist or need to be convinced or we need to be uh, believe or understand before we just blindly follow what the government tells us to do, right? So I'm Irish and we have, a, as a nation, we just have like, issues with authority in any case. Yeah. And, um, my, I'm also British. And uh, one thing that the British have with them is that at one stage they sacked a king and beheaded him. So. You know, they, there's a lot of Middle England uh, uh, kind of rights and, and feeling of our, our say has, has, has weight. So, yes, they, they kind of challenge the government a lot. They uh, vote for the government. They blame the government. Um, and I think over here, people have a strong faith in the government and I think if the government says something they believe in them and they have leadership that they follow 
Yeah. And without all the, the reasons as to maybe Western optics or opinions as to why that might be, like simply here in my, like, oh God, 15 years experience of being, or more being in China, is that people just get on with their lives and they um, accept that uh, what they're being told is largely for their benefit and just get on with it. Agreed. So let me, I think listeners might be thinking this, and I'm thinking this too. So you're in Chengdu, you're not in lockdown yet, right? It was only Wuhan. So you, you and the family had a chance to do, to, to flee or to travel or to go, right? It's, but you... we, we had all that, yeah. And it was, it was called self-isolation. And so people isolated. And then the kind of um, term, then it changed a bit to soft lockdown because uh, incremental uh, elements of, of uh, different regulations were coming into play as time passed. So every day was a different story. And um, so soft lockdown, I think, is what we ended up in for a, a period of time. And on the 26th of January, two days later, I opened a LinkedIn group page and I uh, relied a lot on data that was coming in from five disease control centers around the world and, and, and generally uh, output through John Hopkins University. And so I stuck with data and, and I tried to stick with facts. It was really to educate myself about it so I could lower my fear and panic levels that I was having that Chinese people weren't having because they were getting full-on updates and news via apps that were coming out and they were literally in the flow and uh, in the momentum of, of the storm. And therefore everybody was moving in unison and cooperating. And that was, that was, that was like extremely interesting to, to see because I, I still have my own like different optics from like Western culture. And on, on the, 28th of January, um, it, the cases were doubling. Everything was doubling every two days. And it, it, was, it was getting very stressful. And I had three children. And I had this conversation with my wife. Okay, if we get sick, uh, we're going to end up in a hospital. Where would you rather be hospital? In fact, where would you rather your child be in hospital? who won't be able to have you or I with them, who will be in isolation by themselves at 8, 11, and 13 years old, where would you rather that happen? Here, or in Hong Kong, or in UK, or in Ireland? Those were our options. So we decided we would, um, it would be extraordinarily kind of traumatic for them because of language and cultural barriers and differences. And uh, we decided we will, we bought tickets to Hong Kong to put ourselves in 14 day isolation there because our mindset was already in. We were in, we were dialed in, we were motivated and uh, we were in the momentum. And we had friends offer to put us up and stuff like that. And we said, no, we're not gonna put that on you. We're gonna uh, like get our own place and we're gonna stay there for 14 days. And then we'll see what happens after that. And then when we're there during that period, we're going to get tickets and we're going to go to UK and Ireland. And Ireland was probably the most appealing because very low density of population and people are spread out. And we, and we had some help us there. One day later, three jets landed, one in US, one in um, UK, and one in... Japan, and it was repatriating uh, American, British, and Japanese citizens that were in Wuhan. And when those planes hit, I changed my mind. I just did a com pivot, complete pivot. And as a startup kind of entrepreneur guy, you have to be flexible, and pivoting is part of life. And it was the reaction when that plane landed, in, uh, those planes landed in each country, and it was uh, the, also the media reaction when those places countries and though it was so evident and so front and center that none of those countries developed western modern countries 
had any concept of what was coming their way. None. I felt China is 100% mobilized. It is treating it as a biological attack. It is therefore doing a kind of military-style biological defense. It is 100% dialed in. Everybody's doing their part. There's no panic here. The shops aren't being stripped of, of goods. Things are being delivered to people. The community's getting involved. They're coming to check that nobody has fevers. They're coming to check that nobody is from Wuhan or Hubei or even Chongqing, which are our immediate neighbors. So I felt that China was the best place to deal with COVID-19, which was still called NCOV in those days. Yeah. Got it. Okay, interesting, interesting. So then let's just, let me just go back to the Jets. So I remember, you know, I was in Philippines at the time and I remember reading, they were kind of like all the countries are trying to evacuate their citizens uh, from from China, from Wuhan. So this, the Jets picked up people inside Wuhan, right? At the time. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so then... Just to be clear for listeners, so you weren't eligible for that because you're outside of the epicenter. But so then you you felt that that meant like by them taking those people out was was a, a negative. I'm, I'm also kind of no. It's when they landed in their own countries. There was like this cheer that they had been they'd got out of the problem, and actually they hadn't got out of the problem. They had brought the problem to that country. And the media reacted in a, in a way that the, that problem is all the way over in China. And now we're going to put a, a fence around that and it'll stay there. And these guys were, were not dialed in. They were not aware of this thing was coming at them with a force. Yeah. Simple. I think that the reason was a lot of these other virus Asia it kind of was always like an Asia thing like honestly I can't really remember SARS so much um I wasn't here but I remember reading this you'd always you'd always think like this is something that's coming out that would just stay in China or Asia I don't think from my understanding maybe I'm wrong but from my perspective personally I just think that the western media western people felt like this always kind of is contained and goes away in, in China or in Asia well, you're, you're, you're not wrong in all of that. I mean, I was in the UK during SARS and there was news about it and, and people felt, well, stay there, it will be localized. And in fact, it was. So I, I think that didn't help the, um, the mindsets of people at, in this outbreak. But the World Health Organization was making an awful lot of announcements and a lot of people were not taking seriously and it was too far away i mean um look when when fukushima um nuclear accident happened my my mom called me and said are you getting out of hong kong and i said well what do you mean she said well you know the nuclear power plant did you not see it and i said yeah let me ask you a question she's in london at the time uh if this happened in Cairo, would you leave London? She said, what are you talking about? Mm. I said, that's the distance between us and Fukushima. So from the other side of the world and a map and an atlas, everything looks, seems so like A, far away, and yeah. B, because it's at the extremity of the map or the, the other side of the globe, and B, it's like we're over here. It's not, it's not coming our way. It's there. And I think is what I've learned throughout this whole time is this, there is a, a human behavior called informational behavior, whereas you react to what your immediate neighbors are doing. So I was here, oh my gosh, for the 2008 earthquake with my wife and, and some of my children. And uh, we were all, the whole population was out on the streets. So let's say 12 million people were on the streets not all on my street, but on all the streets in Chengdu. And every hour or so, there were like large aftershocks. Um, and people were running like 20, 50 meters. Well, like what, what point was that? But when someone started it, everybody around them started it. You see? 
it's kind of behavioral or informational behavior is called. And there was none of that in, in outside of the epicenter of where it was going on. And that was in China, it was in, in Hubei, and in the world, it was in China. That's true. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I definitely second what you mean about people thinking all of Asia is like, like you know, Japan is China and Philippines is China. Like, they don't understand how huge Asia is and uh, how far away things are. Like, UK and Cairo, that's a good, uh, good analogy. So, yeah, totally. And, 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 and you've often heard of Asian fusion restaurants because like, people don't understand the specific different cuisines, even of different provinces in China or between Chinese, Japanese, Korean, or Thai, or you know, Vietnamese, or Cambodian. Or, it's just Asian, right? Mm-hmm. Just like a lot of, like, I suppose, you have all the way the Americas, right? You've all the way from Inuits or <laughs> all the way down to like, uh, like historically Incas. It's a big difference, right? True. Although I have to say in China, sometimes they say Western food to me. You know, I think you know, they say you want Western food, but, you know, I, I do agree. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool. But um, we wanted to talk about this whole China visas, too. You know, I'm going through it now. So you, you, you also have a limited stay in mainland China. Like a lot of foreigners, you know, we don't have like, you know, long-term stays. Like, you know, you had between Hong Kong and China often it's similar to me I was you know I would do short-term stays in China I know a lot of listeners are also doing those hopping in and out of China so you're in this lockdown what what was what was that like I mean how long did that affect your visa of course it affected your travel and your life but you know as far as visas what were, what were you thinking or doing or, or is there any changes well the the Central governments were very aware of this, and they actually one short little point that a lot of the world probably is not aware of. Very quickly, China stopped issuing uh, outbound visas to their own citizens. Now, in other countries, there are no such thing as outbound visas, but in China, to travel somewhere, you need a visa to go out, and then you need another visa to enter somewhere else. So they prevented all their, their people from leaving the country before other people prevented Chinese nationals from entering their countries to contain this, because containment was the strategy. And I, I was in the British Army, and you know, biological warfare is it was all about containment and decontamination. And um, so they, they understood there were an awful lot of foreigners uh, here on uh, resident and work permits and on short stays and they realized that flights were being cut and they decided to uh, do a like across the board 60-day waiver or not waiver excuse me uh, renewal and you, you could just go to the public security bureau present your visa and you'd get a chop or an extension of 60 days and like most things in my life and most things in entrepreneurs' lives, they tend to swim upstream and tend to not get all the benefits of things yeah. that are in the flow. And yeah. um, as a result of my many trips here, I switched from three-year visas, which cost an expensive, like, uh, in Hong Kong dollars, let's say four and a half thousand. I don't know what that is in U.S., uh, um, like time divided by eight. There you go. Yeah, about about, about five, almost six hundred dollars. Okay, so an, an APEC card, an APEC APEC card, uh, which is a sort of Asian Pacific business travel card, costs one tenth of that, ten percent of that, and it's visa waiver. So I did not have a visa, and although I was assured that I'd get a a 60-day extension to my APEC 60 days, when I got to the Public Security Bureau, the confusion on APEC cardholders had been clarified three days before, and APEC cardholders were not included because they were purely here on business, and therefore they did not have a reason to stay, and therefore they could leave. 
even though it's the, the physical consequences were that it would split my family and I up. I know, I know. I mean, we know how stressful it is, you know, uh, uh, try it off myself. Yeah, so what, what, what visa are you on now? I'm currently on a business visa with a, you know, U.S. passport, 10, 10 year, uh, 60 day stay. So, right. So, uh, I, I mean, I, we chatted before recording, but I'm current, literally after this recording, we'll be heading to the immigration to try to file for a, a marriage visa under my wife to be like a dependent under her to stay here. I think she says two years with that because your wife is a chinese national yeah yeah okay my wife used to be now she's a hong kong national because she lived in hong kong for more than seven years God. <laughs> yeah which is quite interesting then um it's not up to the hong kong government it's actually up to uh, the central government in china uh they uh take away the uh the old blue book like the home travel car or books or passports and gave him gave my wife and people like her a, a temporary exit visa to present to Hong Kong immigration who would then issue her with a Hong Kong passport so uh, there's another little thing that China decides which of its citizens get Hong Kong citizenship those who've lived there for seven years so anyway um, so I found out um, three days before my 60-day maximum APEC visa waiver stay that I had to leave. And at that stage, there were only flights to, to uh, three places, um, Hong Kong, Cambodia, and Myanmar. Myanmar and Cambodia were two countries in the planet that decided they would not shut their borders to China. And Hong Kong, uh, will keep their borders open for their residents, and I'm a Hong Kong resident. And flights to Hong Kong, or flight, um, was about maybe more than a thousand US dollars. Wow. Crazy. Uh, each way. Each way. Um, and the flight to Cambodia was about 110 US dollars return. Wow. So I flew to Phnom Penh. Um, looked around Phnom Penh uh, at sort of masks and you know other kind of um, uh, how do you call it pandemic kind of PPE and uh, came back the next day uh -huh. and the world changed even then in that 24 hours the world changed again uh, I arrived back in Chengdu and there were a team of more than 30 hazmat suited pre-immigration sort of uh, health checkers and i was sitting in front of the plane i got off first and i was like pulled and i was brought over to sit in a space where a guy had left the plane earlier because his temperature was a bit hot and i'm thinking oh my god am i is there something wrong with me and i don't want to sit with him and you know and basically he was hot because he was sitting at the, on the side with the windows shutters up and the sun beaming in. And by the time he's in the airport, he was fine. But I got picked up and flagged because my app said that I was red code because I had a UK passport. And at that particular 24 hours, when I left China to come back, China started um, uh, getting an awful lot of import cases. And they were... Uh, foreigners returning to China, and they were also um, uh, expat Chinese returning to China. Because then the world had flipped. At that stage, China was um, like uh, off its ass, off its ass and back on its feet and starting to, to, to kind of uh, to walk again. And the rest of the world was on its ass. And Anybody who was um, expat Chinese was legging it back to China because it was safer and it was starting to kick in really hard and fast in, in other countries. So after um, filling out forms, lots of questions, and like um, they weren't giving anything back to questions I was asking them. And so there was one point when I couldn't really 
explain the pronunciation of the street I was living on. So I called my wife, gave it to the lady. They spoke for three minutes, and I was welcomed back to Chengdu. Okay. I thanked my corporation, and I was let go home. Great. And I was uh, asked to stay home for 14 days, and I we went into compound management. I uh, said hello. They said hello. Registered and. And then I stayed home for 14 days. Okay. Well, that's yeah. good news. I've heard other stories of people that couldn't get back into their compounds. And, and uh, there was one, he was in Guangzhou, an uh, American guy. He had to sleep on the stoop of his own uh, apartment building because the guards that knew him wouldn't even let him in. Uh, and uh, he couldn't get in a hotel either. So I'm glad you were able to get back in, which is, which is great. And uh, so what did he do the next day he had to get, he got into quarantine but he got there past when the management was available i think he got there like 9 or 10 p.m so the workers oh, there right, wouldn't right, right. didn't have the procedure or knowledge or ability or whatever to let people register in to go to their self-quarantine in their house so they just said go to a hotel for tonight and come back tomorrow and he says it was really late. I think he maybe he was even past 10 p.m. He couldn't get a hotel anywhere. And so he literally had to put his luggage on the stair and as a pillow with some clothes and, and, and slept there. And uh, it was wow. Really yeah, he, <laughs> he was pretty furious. That's Russell, Russell Morgan. He was actually on the show a couple of weeks ago about that. So it, there's always bad luck uh, in these situations. So so let's uh let's let's so, oh go ahead you no part of part of this whole thing is that if you think uh like that's it uh it's not it every 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 day the world changes some way shape or form so during this 14 day period i i wanted to organize a trip to guangzhou for um a new project that i wish to kick off and so I needed to stay 14 days in order to go back to my compound management to chop a statement saying that I'd been there for 48 days and I had to give a promissory note, with fingerprint and signature that I hadn't left. And then we had to take that to the community, uh, neighborhood community center and get them to further chop that and then take that to a third location, which was a medical uh, uh, like uh, pop-up location where I had to get another hard copy with an answer, another bunch of questions and go through a series of checks, including temp checks to allow me to uh, travel outside of here to, for instance, in my case, Guangzhou. And uh, that took um, oh, maybe about like a half a day to do that. And, the, that's not the bit that changed. The, change, the bit that changed in between getting back from Cambodia to wanting to go to Guangzhou was they stopped allowing foreigners into China. So in my next 60-day period, when that comes to an end, I have to leave China and I'm not allowed to get back in under current regulations. Okay. It's yeah, I know right now people yeah, nobody can come back in. I mean, I, I missed it. I made it by a few days, it seems. I'm I think that was end of March. They started really just totally stopping foreigners from entering China. So And with your date in, was it just luck that you got in before that? I had just entered the quarantine March twenty-third, I remember, and I think the news came out March twenty-eighth or it was towards the end of March when they said it, but we, I guess I had a feeling, you know, my wife and I were talking when I was still in the Philippines and, you know, we just felt like the window was closing to get back. You know, you could already feel like everybody just trying to get into China. Like you saw it in WeChat groups or chats or, or, or just talking to people. Um, so I, and I think it's an entrepreneur's mind as well. Like you have this active mind, which has to think in a holistic fashion all the time. Yeah. Like if you don't, if you stop thinking like that, like your life can just 
like all your enterprises can just come to an abrupt end. You have to do all the thinking. Yeah, agreed. More attuned to, oh, it's a potential issue coming up here. Therefore, maybe I'm going to make this decision based on that. What do you think? Yeah, I guess, you know, I think it's also by us being expats or overseas so long, we're, we're also used to this kind of, this is ex, extra pressure than ever, but I think, of course, entrepreneurial mindset, but also just international travel immigration kind of mindset that, uh, but I would definitely agree. Because, yeah, if you're not thinking outside of the box and creatively and futuristically, like, you know, if, which you have to be as entrepreneur and business owner, you, you know, if you don't have that, you're, yeah, you might just listen to what the news is saying. And they're not going to, like you said, a lot of times they don't tell you until it's after because they don't want everybody to get panic or do, do everything at the same time. So maybe it's just been built into our, uh, our blood <laughs> to always think ahead, try to think ahead. Well, do you, do you know, I, I, I honestly think there's something I'm saying, I definitely think that our mindset is, is tuned into that sort of thing because the people who jumped in before the window closed, like before the announcement and the closing, they ended up paying 20 to 25 to 30,000 US dollars for a single economy Europe to China. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Or um, there were uh, like other people blocked together. To get small jets to take them in. They're just, you know, they, anyway, there's just a mindset thing. Cool. Understand. understand. Yeah, of course. It's definitely an advantage. You know, I think a lot of listeners, you know, are, are, are like, are like us that are, you know, we think outside the box. We're not just staying in one mindset in one uh, process. So it's definitely helps us when these insane situations happen. Um, all right, well, this has been fascinating. Really appreciate you sharing. Is is there any last words or maybe ways people want to connect with you or we can make what you're Yeah, I, I just, I, I, well, I'll tell you one other observation. I noticed that um, early on in, for instance, in the UK, uh, Asian people were getting picked on. And uh, this was like a, a xenophobia mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, or xenophobic reaction to what was happening. And again, by not very intelligent people, you know, some of them have got beaten up and told to go back to where they come from and take their virus with them, which is just totally unintelligible. However, the, 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 the kind of phobia can work its, all the way, its way back down to a compound or a or building. Here, we had some Chinese Australians who came, who came back to, to their home here, having... Um, let's call it fled at the beginning and the residents wouldn't let them in. They were considered potential carriers and they were told by the residents to go and stay in a, a government quarantine hotel for 14 days. And, 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 and kind of Westerners have experienced, I wouldn't say aggressive, but certainly a lot of social distancing or here in Chengdu, some have been, uh, suggest it's probably better if they don't come into the restaurant or that type of thing. Or I've noticed myself, I get a large like birth around me when I walk around now um, because it's in the media that foreigners are bringing in import yeah. cases. So, so, so in effect, this, this whole thing is fear. It is xenophobia. I don't think it's racism. I think it's fear. And I think it's fear of not knowing that, that, you know, is that person going to end up affecting me in, me in a way which I can die? This, this whole coronavirus thing is, is terrifying for one thing, is that if you catch it, you can actually die. And it is so contagious that you just don't want to catch it. That, that's, my, that's my closing on it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, like, like I, we've been chatting while I've been in quarantine, and uh, I just got out literally a day and a half before barely a day and a half ago so i'm still adjusting but i got my haircut and i can't say there i haven't really noticed it but of course i mean i'm always i'm not in a very popular foreign area anyway so i'm always kind of like the only foreigner but 
They've been mm-hmm. mostly friendly to me. And of course, I feel like I do like that thought process you're saying of fear versus you know racism. I think yeah, it's just a scary thing because people could could yeah, if you get this, you can die. So yeah, it's it's a life or death fear. And unfortunately, media and news, maybe governments are even using that on purpose for their own their own reasons uh, on all sides. So it's really scary times. So let's all just stay safe and we're all in this together, right? It's all, we're all in this earth, you know? I mean, it's just a, it's a close. Yeah, this is a time to be human. Yeah. 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 I think definitely time to put politics aside, try to understand and just be human. I like it. All right. Thank you so much for sharing. I really appreciate this. Yeah, Mike. Great stuff. Okay. Take care. As you may have heard, and we are doing a new startup style business for factory group buys, loadpipe.com. It is a way for you to consolidate all your orders and buy from factories at factory direct pricing with an online platform to make it happen as well as like community style. So we do webinars and we have ways to engage with others in the community. Check it out at www.loadpipe.com, L-O-A-D-P-I-P-E.com. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hugh, for sharing. It was really cool to have you back on. And it was much less about business, more about being a foreigner in another country. I think I think really what we all got to step back is realize that people are, like you said in the interview, people are scared. People are, hey, it's my son. You get to hear him now. <laughs> it's, uh, you know... This whole, I hope he doesn't have to live in a world where people are afraid of other races and this whole uh, xenophobia. It's a hard word for me to say, but this whole idea of you're different than me, you might be from another location that's that's dirty, you know, that's infected and you're bringing this to me. But like Hugh said, you know, it's, I guess it's about life or death. So we have to um, remember that maybe these people, a lot of people don't travel internationally. They don't leave their home country they might need leave their hometown so we have to keep that in mind when we're dealing with uh, fear and uh, racism and stereotypes i um can't say too much of that has happened to me personally in the northeast of china and shenyang although i haven't really been out too too much i did have to take a taxi to deal with my immigration trying to extend my stay here so i don't have to leave i don't know how that works but uh working on switching to a marriage visa under my wife and uh, be able to stay here a couple of years. I don't know if I'll really be in China in a couple of years, but for now, I just don't want to have the risk of having to uh, leave and get stuck somewhere else again. So life is, is really, really crazy and scary right now for all of us. And it's a time for us to come together and work as a group, work as a team, to make sure we do what we need to do to, you know, to win, to get ahead. And I think while this pandemic is a scary time, it's also a time for us to reflect. Actually, next week's show, we have a cool guest, a friend of mine. She even helped me transform a bit. And uh, talking about transformation during this whole pandemic nightmare that we're all in. But we can reinvent ourselves, reinvent our businesses. You know, you can see me doing the mask trading or we're really working on a platform called Loadpipe to try to make this smoother and easier for people to get these products and supplies anywhere they will be. But it's just a really uh, interesting time to be alive. And I'm sure for the next 5, 10, 20, 50 years from now, this will be one of the where were you when the COVID-19 pandemic came down? Where were you stuck? You know, where what did you do? And there's still time for you to react positively. You know, there's still time for you to do what you need to do to transform yourself. But I don't want to go out into too much in the next week's show. But I did say in a blah, blah, blah session, I would talk about the thought process. You know, I'm in Manila, Philippines, and I'm freaking out. And there, there was people started to buy masks and put masks on in January. There was already that volcano eruption I felt guilty. I felt horrible. You know, I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm supposed to be a husband, a father, a protector of my family, and I'm, uh, I'm hours and hours away. 
And like I said, I think I said this on the shows, I said on my video blogs, you know, do I go back? Will I even be able to get back? There was this whole like lockdown in all these different cities. Would I have been able to enter the compound? Would I would have got stuck staying in a hotel somewhere? What was really going to what was really going to happen? So I really was nervous about going back and my wife is very independent and strong that's why she's amazing and I, and I love her and she says that we're fine here we're just stuck at home you know we nobody knew what would have happened if I had flown back you know still don't think I would know but really the scary thing was to be away and being separated that was really the scary thing so as you guys know that are following the show or other updates I do on the social media is I finally did come back and it seems like I had made the last chance effort to do it because the borders closed just a few days after I had come back. I know Chris Davey from FBA for you. He uh, also made, he was even more on the borderline. I think he came like he arrived like the day before it closed. Like it was towards the end of March. So I finished the quarantine and now I'm in my, uh, yeah, there he is laughing again. Not in school, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, I am back here. And I am uh, here for the foreseeable future. Just got out of quarantine. And, uh, you know, the Canton Fair is going to be online now. I was just talking to Megla at Global Sources and, and everything she's doing with her India sourcing trip. Everything is moving online right now, right? So... We're all stuck where we're stuck, and we need to deal with it, right? Even within China, I can't go to other provinces. I went to immigration. I had to scan a QR, I think I said, to report where I am so that if they found out I had the virus or somebody else in that car had the virus, they could trace all of us down. It's just really a uh, interesting time to be alive, and I really don't hope I really hope we don't go more into 1984 book of the world of everything being tracked and all of us this seems like it's being done in the name of preventing the virus and you know china is quote-unquote safe now it seems but at what cost you know what what is freedom right what is uh privacy and with that i think i'll leave it alone for today's show Thank you for listening, and uh, as always, we will be back next week. Thank you. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.